Back in March, we were able to go to Israel, and I was also able to go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, we went to a, right near Jerusalem, we went to a place called Bethlehem. And there was Jesus Manger. I gotta tell you, I was never more amazed in my life to see what God did when he brought his only son into this world by putting him in this stone-hewn manger. Wasn't like what we think of with the wood. And I got to tell you, there was a moment there that I just experienced incredible awe, amazement, and certainly wonder as God became man. I can't help but think that that might be a little bit of what Mary experienced and what we also need to experience as we worship Jesus as he wants. My name is Trey Rhodes and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church. And it's good to have you along. We appreciate you coming and being a part of this. And if you're listening because you're one of our Life Connection Group leaders or care leaders or uh, one of our co-leaders or even one of our uh, substitute teachers, we appreciate it. But also everybody's welcome from all around the world, whether you're listening from around the United States, in our, in our state of South Carolina, or even into uh, Europe. Uh, other places throughout the world. We appreciate you coming to being a part. If you'd like to be a part of what we're doing here and you would like the, the paperwork that goes with this, all the notes and other things, just contact me at Trey, T-R-E-Y at NorthwoodBaptist.com and we will get you set up. Well, we are in the middle of the Christmas season. We have finished Thanksgiving and it was a wonderful one indeed. And I didn't hear about too many people eating too much, although it's not easy, or it's not hard to eat too much, I should say. So we all survived the Thanksgiving dinner, and we all survived the Thanksgiving arguments. I know there's always discussions around the table, and it's interesting to hear how those played out on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. But anyway, we're right in the middle of the Christmas season, and this Sunday is going to be, is, is the, um, this past Sunday, excuse me, was the first Sunday of what we in the church call Advent, and that's not only looking to Jesus' birth, it's also looking to his second coming, and that's what Advent's about. So as we do that, we're going to be studying the book of Luke, and we appreciate you joining us and hope that uh, this is just going to bless you anywhere near as much as it's blessed me already. Uh, Pastor Tommy always has a certain way of saying things that really brings it home, and I appreciate his commitment to the Word of God and commitment to give us the best possible message that he uh, can get. So uh, we appreciate him and what he does. All righty, we're, we're in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to do what we've been doing these last few weeks. I'm going to try to get done in about 17 more minutes here, so you can start the timer. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, and we're going to be talking about Christmas wonder. Uh, if you remember, he started the thing about the chain-smoking marathon runner and how he ran that three and a half hours. He finished the marathon and he smoked the entire time. I got to tell you, that uh, makes me wonder, doesn't it make you? But, uh, you know, it's, it's always the case. In life, there's people that do things that you never expect that they would do. Uh, the whole purpose of the Christmas story is to, of course, tell us about what Jesus did when he died, on, when he came to earth as a babe in a manger, put on human flesh, um, that Christmas story is supposed to leave us in awe of God. And so when we 
left Zechariah, he wasn't in much awe, was he? But now we have Mary, and it's a whole different way that she looked at it. Our problem is, is that we don't get amazed. We, we lose awe. We, we talk about, that was an awesome football game, or that was an awesome meal, or that was an awesome uh, play, or whatever, but we don't really talk about God in those terms anymore, do we? But we are t- called to be amazed. And so when we are in awe of God, when we have that amazement, we'll respond in two ways, one of two ways. First is this. First response is look at what God has done with awestruck wonder. This is, this is looking at God and what he's done and then stepping back and saying, wow. I have a pastor friend who always says, uh, yay God. I mean, that's kind of what it is. Yay God. Look at what God has done with awestruck wonder. And so we have Zechariah's story. It's an amazing story. Uh, but there's there's some uh, things you might expect in Zechariah's story. You know, he's a godly priest. He has a barren wife. We've heard that story before, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, of course, uh, Hannah and her husband. Um, so we've heard this sort of story before. And even Sarah, and uh, excuse me, even uh, John the Baptist's mother, Sarah and, uh, excuse me, Elizabeth and Zechariah. So anyway, all this together, uh, you hear the this sort of thing over and over again. But... We should be very surprised that God would choose Mary. Nothing in common with Elizabeth. She's not a priest. She's not in a priestly line. She has no credentials. And the one thing that would keep her from having a baby is she's a virgin, obviously. It's one thing for a barren woman to have a child, but she still has the other part of the relationship going. All God has to basically do is open up her womb and she has a baby. But with, uh, with a virgin, of course, there's only one uh, person to the dual role that is played in, ha- in making a baby. Well, Mary's engaged to Joseph, who, by the way, is a descendant of King David. Joseph is a direct descendant. Uh, Mary is not elderly. She's young. Some say somewhere between 12 and 14. And uh, Elizabeth doesn't get a message from Gabriel. Zechariah did, but what happens with Mary is Mary appear, is appeared to directly by Gabriel. So, um, and you wouldn't expect that either, talking directly to a woman, but that's exactly what he does. And the announcement is this, greetings favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now when we hear the word favored in, in, in the book of Luke, and you're going to hear that several times, and you're going to just translate that grace as an understanding of what he's talking about. The God, grace of God is with you. It's very similar to what Noah went through in, in uh, Genesis 6 when it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was favored by God. So the initial response, she was deeply troubled, and you can imagine you would be too. She's not prepared to hear. God hadn't spoken in, in, in 400 years. And Mary doesn't know what's happened to Zechariah. So God breaks his silence, and he speaks to this teenage peasant girl, and he says, you found favor. And God had graciously, out of all the women in the world, God had graciously chosen Mary. So Mary's going to conceive. She's going to give birth to a son. He's going to be the son of God. And God is then going to give this child the throne of David. Some scriptures you might want to have them look up. 2 Samuel seven thirteen, And of course, the ever famous Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Here's the great news. You know, for them, on a political level, Herod will not sit on the throne forever. Uh, but this child, born to a virgin in Nazareth, will. Now, I'm sure some people thought, well, maybe that would happen now, but obviously that's not, that was not the case. So Mary says, how can this be? She's not doubting like Zechariah did, by, by the way. 
Um, you know, she didn't say I need a sign or anything like that. She just, she's, she's not doubting. She has a legitimate question. You know, I'm a virgin, right? You have to explain this to me. And then he explains about the Holy Spirit descending upon, uh, coming down upon, upon you. The power of the Most High will dwell over you. Very similar to what we hear in Genesis chapter 1, where the Spirit of God moved over the earth at creation. And uh, then he does the same thing, the same concept, the same way with Mary in her womb. And the very one who created the heavens and the earth is placed by the Spirit of God in the virgin's womb. Wow, you talk about something unexpected. Now, when we hear the word overshadow, think how the glory of God should overshadow the tabernacle. God's presence would overshadow Mary's womb. And the rare presence of God would take up residence in Mary. In a, as as this uh, baby in the, her womb. Um, so we talked a little bit, and I think you do need to approach this. I'm going to let you take the notes and go through this, but you do need to talk about the virgin birth and why it matters. Uh, it is a miraculous birth, and we talk, talked about Jesus fully God, fully man at the same time. Jesus had no sin nature, and that sin nature would be inherited from Joseph. And then a virgin teenager giving birth to a child uh, that would be your savior. Uh, that is not just Mary's story. That is our story. So Luke is calling us to a simple response. Look at what God has done with awestruck wonder. But it's easy to lose that sense of wonder at what God has done because we wander. We are wanderers, and God knows that. So let's ask the question. How do you know if you've given yourself over to wonder replacements? Where do your eyes gaze? What stirs your emotions and your passions? What consumes your thoughts? What gets your resources? What gets your allegiances? All those things will point us to whether or not we've lost that uh, wonder. And by the way, it is okay to be like Mary and to ask questions of wonder. We don't ask enough questions. In your Life Connection group, you need to be uh, let your people know that they should be comfortable asking good questions about God and digging into the Bible so that we can walk away together and say, wow. Okay. The second response is this, surrender to God in courageous faith. When wonder and awe overcame Mary, she considered what God was going to accomplish in her life. Uh, she responds, I am the Lord's servant. That's how she surrendered. She said, I'll do what he wants. That's what a servant does. A servant does whatever the master asks. The idea is, this, I belong to you, not my will, but yours be done. Similar to what Jesus said in the garden as well. Mary, may everything you've said about me come true. And so Mary then completely embraces God's plan for her life even though it would complicate her life. She's going to have a conversation with Joseph that would not be a normal conversation. And, when, and, and then she's going to watch her son grow up and leave home. She's going to hear his message. She's going to see her own son who was innocent in every way and sentenced to death. She's going to watch at the foot of the cross as her son died the death we deserve. Mary will see the empty tomb that her son rose again, that her son is exactly who the angel said, the son of God, eternal king. So how do, how do we surrender? Well, we, how do we surrender in that? courageous faith. Well, surrender to God is far more than just completing ministry tasks. Remind your people that it's not just about uh, the dues. Well, I went and did this, so I must be surrendered. What surrender is, is giving up control of my life. That's what Pastor Tommy talked about, an open-handed life, always putting my yes on the table because I belong to God. Not my will, but his will be done. Surrender is also willing to have your life complicated for the sake of the kingdom. You know, and whether it's fostering a child, whether it's uh, getting involved at a church like Gethsemane, where there's building a relationship with a person who needs a Christian brother or sister, you know that relationship is going to drain you. For parents, it's going to be willingness to say to our children when they feel like going to the international field, mission field, go with my blessing. Surrender saying, 
to God, not my will be done ever. Let your will be done always. So make sure that you bring in this idea of what the purpose was, the virgin birth, and that's a good opportunity for you to share the gospel. And then also remind yourself, remind your people that what we are talking about is the plan and purpose of God in our very lives. All right, let's jump on to the questions. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, honesty time. Uh, you might talk about the number two. That's a good one. Think about the Christmas story. What do you think is the most remarkable about the Christmas story? And I mean, we've had our whole lives to think about it, so they certainly can have a little input there. Uh, but of course, as we always say, if that doesn't work, then use another one. If there's another one you want to kind of tweak to bring them towards the text, then feel free, especially number four, Matthew focusing on the birth story in, in Luke's gospel. Luke focuses on the birth story from Mary's perspective. So we got Joseph's perspective in Matthew. We got Luke's, uh, excuse me, Mary's perspective in Luke. As a matter of fact, in, in reading some commentaries, uh, many times I said Mary stored these things in her heart, treasured these things in her heart. That was probably the source that Luke got this information from. All right, examine the text. Number one, what are the similarities between Zechariah's story and Mary's story? Well, obviously, Gabriel came to both of them. Um, you can go back and compare sermon, uh, compare notes if you want to. But uh, Zechariah, uh, his wife had not had a baby. That's, that's similar. Um, both of them, uh, I think, were followers of, of God, Yahweh God. Um, they certainly were Jewish. Um, they, they were, this, this was a godly priestly couple. But Mary and Joseph, they were married, but Mary and Joseph were not. So um, we have a lot of things going on there that are similar, and they might want to mention several of the others. What the difference is, obviously, uh, Elizabeth is barren, Mary's a virgin. Uh, Zechariah is, a priestly, is in the priestly line, Mary is, is not. So, you know, there are some differences as well. Why are these, why are these differences significant? Because why would God choose... One who is of the priestly line to announce that John the Baptist, or that John the Baptist would be born of him, John, who we know is John the Baptist, and that uh, then he comes, and the one that he chooses to have his son, God chooses, is now literally a child, a twelve or fourteen year old child, twelve to fourteen year old child, who is following Christ and has great favor. Uh, so all those things are going on. So how do these differences help us understand the significance of Jesus? That Jesus, and that goes into the virgin birth, that Jesus was who, uh, this is the one that said he would come, that he was long awaited. Uh, and this, this announcement was not made in Jerusalem, but in Nazareth. So there's all kinds of things that you can go into and, and try to explain. And uh, the sermon outline is there if you want to use that. I'll uh, read Luke 1, 26 to 29, and we're not going to read those because you can do that on your own time. But why does Luke want us to know that Mary was from Nazareth? Uh, well, I mean, Nazareth was a small little town. Uh, Nazareth was not the big, huge, bustling city of, 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 Israel, of, of Jerusalem. Um, so we have all that going on. Uh, and then eventually it was such a small town, such a no-count town, that uh, they actually asked in John, what can anything, John chapter 1, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, why was Mary troubled by Gabriel's greeting? Well, obviously, uh, it was very troubling. I mean, he, God hadn't spoken in 400 years. Um, Mary is completely underprepared to hear from this messenger. I mean, if you saw an angel, 
I'm telling you, look at what Isaiah went through in Isaiah 6. And he's a full-grown man. He is a, he is a prophet. And here's Mary, a little girl in, from Nazareth, and one of the archangels of God, Gabriel, appears to her. Um, so she doesn't even know that anything has happened to Zechariah in the, in the meantime. So it could be very troubling. It makes sense. Um, number three, Luke 130. What, what is the favor of God? Well, favor obviously is grace. He says, you found favor in the eyes of God. Of all the women of the world, God has graciously chosen Mary. Now, how can you find favor with God? Well, in the same way, we also can find grace through Jesus Christ. The one who offers us grace now had offered God's grace to Mary. We can receive that same grace through an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ who forgave us of our sin to give us eternal life. All right, a couple of times Luke informs us. Okay, oh, i got to have myself here. Um, Luke 1, 1 uh, 31 to 33. How do we learn about Jesus? Uh, what do we learn about Jesus from these verses? So if you want to go back and read verses 31 to 33 and kind of pick it apart, uh, I think it's very easy to kind of figure out some about Jesus and who he was and that he is going to be the Son of God and the other things that this says. Uh, this is a good time for you to do a little Bible study with him if you have the time, and I hope you do because that's what we're doing this for. Um, and talks about calling him Jesus, which means Savior. He's going to be great, most high. Let him pick out those things. That's easy to do and helps him understand how to do the OIA, observe, interpret, and then apply. Um, so uh, why doesn't, uh, let's see here, what Old Testament passages help you to understand Luke's description of Jesus in these verses? Um, some scriptures that we talked about, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, and Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. So you might want to go back to those and see those. 2 Samuel 7, 13, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. All right, in Luke uh, 1 through 4, uh, 134, how is Mary's response to Gabriel different from Zechariah's response? Well, totally different. Uh, Mary is really asking a question of wonder. She's not doubting like Zechariah was. She was not saying, hey, you're going to have to prove it to me. I need a sign. She was just saying, you know, hey, I'm a virgin. I don't understand how this is going to happen. So God willingly and will, will joyously gives her an answer. All right, remember we talked about why does the virgin birth matter to the Christian faith? Uh, the, the things that we talked about in particular, fulfillment of prophecy, reminder that it, this is a miraculous birth. It's, it also tells us that Jesus is both fully God and fully man at the same time, 100% God, 100% man. Doesn't make mathematical sense, which is good for Pastor Tommy and me because we're not good at math. But uh, the bottom line is this fallen humanity could not produce its own Savior and then it, it, it helps us understand that Jesus could have and would have no sin nature, which would be inherited from Joseph. Okay, um, why didn't Gabriel judge Mary like he judged Zechariah? Because, like I said, it was, it was, a, it was a question of wonder, not a question of, of doubt. A couple of times, number six, Luke informs us that Mary was a virgin uh, excuse me, a couple of times Luke informs us that Mary was a virgin. Is the virgin birth an essential doctrine of Christian faith? And uh, Yes. And why does the virgin birth matter to Christian faith? We talked about that. All right, Luke 1, 35 to 38. What is Mary's response to Gabriel? And what do we learn about surrendering to God's will? Well, obviously this was surrender. She said, I am your servant. And so I'll do whatever you want me to do. You're my master and I will obey whatever you say that I'm supposed to obey.
Alrighty, let's exam let's now go into uh, applying the truth. Are there any wonder replacements in your life? Remember what they are? Where do your eyes gaze? What stirs your emotions or passions? What consumes your thoughts? What gets you your resources? Uh, what gets your resources? What gets your allegiance? Uh, okay, what are, are there anything like that in you or maybe in your life connection group? Uh, what do you tend to stand in awe of? So what just, what just blows you away? What are the things that just make you, you know, is it watching a rocket launch? Is it uh, watching uh, your, your football team win? Um, all the, you know, is it finding that great sale at, at, at Belk? Um, anyway, whatever it is. So how can you grow in your awe of God? And I think you, you ask questions of grace, excuse me, questions of wonder. Uh, that's where you're talking, you're finding out more and more about God. And then it's remembering grace. That constantly look at what God has done in your life, how he has blessed you in incredible ways. Number two, what does it mean to ask questions of wonder? Well, uh, some of the things that... Uh, we get together and we ask the big questions. We dig into the Bible. And, and so when we say, that would be the questions about the Trinity. It's not hard, it's not, it's hard to understand, but we need to ask questions and help us maybe have a better understanding. I don't think we completely understand the Trinity. Uh, the, the, the hypostatic union, which is the God-man. Uh, you know, how could Jesus be God and man? Uh, ask questions about the virgin birth. How could that, how could that happen? Uh, what was God thinking? All those things are going on. And so those are questions of wonder that you can ask. What kinds of questions? All right, number three, what does it mean to surrender to God? Well, obviously, when you surrender to God, you give him everything you have. It's not halfway. It's not a little bit. Uh, it's not just when we surrender to God in that courageous faith, we, it's not just completing tasks. Uh, remember, it's, it's just showing up and doing church stuff. What it is is con giving up control of your life. Okay, um, why do we surrender to that? Well, obviously, because it's hard. It's hard. Now, surrender is, when we give God control of our lives, it gets real complicated, doesn't it? One of the things Pastor Tommy talked about was complications of surrendering to God. And so if it's going to complicate our lives, we don't want anything to do with it. We want the easiest, quickest path we can get to where we need to get. Number four, surrender is willing to have your life complicated for the sake of the kingdom. How can surrendering to God complicate your life. Well, we talked about it. You know, you might be fostering children. You might go work at another church. You might be called somewhere else. Um, you might uh, know that you need to be in a life connection group or a discipleship group. But it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you changing your calendar and your schedule. It's being able to say to your children, your grandchildren, I want you to go to the mission field, go with my blessing. You know, I've had to, I did that with my own son. And it's not the international mission field, but it's certainly the mission field. And we don't get to see our grandkids very much because of that. So it is complication, but it's always worth it because you're doing the will of God. All right, what do you think God is calling you to do in response to Luke? Luke is responding, uh, 126 to 38. So what is God calling you to do? Is, is there something that you need to be a part of? Maybe it's going to Gethsemane. Maybe it's uh, bringing somebody on your wing. Maybe it's discipling someone, whatever it is, all right? So in response to this lesson, how should you pray? Lord, I, you know, Lord, I'm your servant. I want to live an open-handed life. Those are two good prayers. And then what is one way you can demonstrate your surrender to God this week? And I would say, do something open-handed. You know, that's up to you to make that, but it's going to be different for all of us, but do something open-handed. Say, Lord, my hands are open. You do what you want with me. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for coming and being a part. 
I hope this has been helpful to you. If you have any questions, contact me, Trey, T-R-E-Y, at NorthwoodBaptist.com, and we will get you all set up and uh, figured out any questions. Can't say that I can answer them, but I can give it a good try, all right? And uh, uh, by the way, uh, just so you know, this week is going to be Pastor Tommy's friend, Jared Davis, who's going to be preaching, and uh, we do not have a sermon outline. We don't have a sermon, so it's going to be a little different. I'm going to try to take a good out, a good sermon uh notes, take good sermon notes during church. So hopefully I'll be able to send those to you, but uh, you're not going to have, dis- you, you will have discussion questions, but you're not going to have an outline with fill in the blanks. So if you want to do that, you're going to have to do that on your own. And I would challenge you to do that on your own. That would be good. All righty. Well, let me pray for you and I'll let you go. Father, thank you so much for all the good things you do for us. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that we can live a life of wonder. We can ask questions about you and find out more and more about you so that we will stand in awe and amazement and wonder of what you are and who you are and what you have done for us. In your grace, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. Now, Father, may we, may we give that same message to those that are um, in our Life Connection groups. May you speak through us. May you use us. And Lord, if there's anybody in our class that doesn't know you saved the Lord of their life, may today be the day that they surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three thousand one hundred and fifty. Three thousand one hundred and fifty. Three thousand one hundred and fifty. There are three thousand one hundred and fifty unreached, unengaged. People groups. That means that there are people that have absolutely no access to the gospel. They have no churches. They have no Bibles. They have no, no one there to translate anything. They have nothing that they can help understand the gospel. As Jared said, that's why there's missions today. My name is Trey Rhodes and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church. It's great to have you along as we uh, go through the sermon last week, which was Jared Davis, our International Mission Board missionary uh, to Eastern Asia. And it's a ple- it was a pleasure to have him. What a great man. What a great man of God. And what God is using him for. It's a, just so incredible. And I just think it is so appropriate that during this time of the year, when we are thinking of giving, that we concentrate and focus on our international missionaries as they give uh, selflessly, constantly, and continuously to those that they are called to. In Jared's situation, it's called to the people that speak Mandarin Chinese and uh, in the Eastern Asian world, and it's just been incredible to hear what God used him for. So uh, we're going to be going over the sermon just real quickly, the best we can. Uh, I took notes, and I hope you did too and kind of remind us what the message was about, and then we'll jump straight into the questions. We're going to be dealing with Revelation 7 and Matthew 28. So if you are a Life Connection Group leader, care leader, or uh, a substitute teacher, or just a uh, someone that's teaching the class, or just want to get involved, we appreciate you coming along and listening. And we, we know that uh, God can use you to help teach the Word of God to small groups, whether it's our Life Connection groups here at Northwood or whether it's something you're doing on your own. We appreciate all that you do. Uh, We're knocking on the door of having over a thousand uh, 
listens to our audio study guide, and that's awesome. Appreciate all of you that listen and, and really put a lot of effort into what we're doing here at, at uh, Connected Northwood and uh, our Life Connection groups. All right, well, as we said, 3,150 is the number of unreached, unengaged people groups. Now, unreached means that there's 1% or less that have opportunity to uh, hear the gospel and be saved, probably uh, very few. There's many countries or many people groups where there might be just a few Christians. But the thing about this number, 3,150, that means that there are no one, there is no one and nothing and no resources, they have no access to the gospel. And they die just in East Asia, if we talked about, to the tune of 43,454 every single day going into eternity without Christ. Uh, that's in East Asia, 3.2 billion people in East Asia, and that many are dying without Christ. In our world, over 155,000 is what he talked about. Those numbers are just for us as Christians, should be completely unacceptable. Now, if somebody rejects Christ, there's not much we can do to other than share the gospel and share it over and over again. And those of you that were in the um, How to Witness session that we went on Sunday night, then we talked about that, that sometimes you just have to start. You have to, you have to plant the seed. You have to water the seed. You have to one day maybe collect the harvest. So you have to start the process of sharing the gospel. And that means that there are times that you're going to share the gospel over and over and over again. As we read Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, we learn that God's desire, and not God's desire, I should say even more than that, God said that there will be every tribe, tongue, language, and nation worshiping around the throne. That's not something that we can hope for. That is something that is absolutely true. That is something that will take place. That is a promise of God that will come true. So what we want to do is to be a part of what God is doing. And that not only goes with Revelation 7, but if we want to be a part of what God is doing, then we, get to go, we have to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. And uh, so as we make disciples, we will see it happen over and over again. Um, so we want that to happen, all nations worshiping God together. And we, as we find out how many people will be around the throne, you know, we think about all these, he talked about all these stadiums that are out there. Uh, we're sports crazy here in the United States. And all these stadiums that are filled to watch football or to watch soccer or to watch baseball or to watch whatever it is, college, pro, whatever it is. But that will not even touch what's going to happen one day when we are gathered around the throne. Um, God's interest is that, as we said, all tribe, language, people, and nations. Um, and so <clears throat> there are 3,150 that will not be there as of today. So that is why we have missions. So uh, we're, we're on the winning side. If you know Jesus, we are winning. And we don't have to worry about that. So until we are all with Jesus for all of eternity, we have plenty of work to do. God's chosen us to work with these people. That's why, as believers, we send our best and our brightest to suffer and to labor because there are 3,150 people groups that still don't have that opportunity. Um, so we are compelled by the command of God in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And uh, I think you probably all know this by heart. 
But the Bible says, go therefore into all the nations, uh, uh, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you and make disciples. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the world. So that is what our goal is in the Great Commission. That is what our plan is. There is no plan B. It's to go, to make disciples, to teach, and to baptize the people that desperately need Jesus. Now, for that to happen, it's going to take all of us working together. So you say, well, I can't go to the mission field. We're not asking you to go to the mission field. Now, if God does, you need to go. And I wouldn't mind you saying that to your, your Life Connection group. You know, they, there are people, not everybody's called, but the problem is there are a lot of people that are called that aren't going. Okay, so the primary verb in, in Matthew 28, 18, 20 is make disciples. And then there's happy, the helping verbs. If you remember, go, that's a passive go. That's the idea of wherever you go. When you, where, whatever life situation you find yourself in, that's where you go. Uh, we are baptizing, that's another helping verb. And then teaching is a helping verb. Uh, and these things are not done for just a special class of believers or a special class of pastor or a special class of you name it. We are commanded, every single one, every person that you are looking at in your Life Connection group, every one of you that teach a Life Connection group, we are all commanded to be involved in that, in that great commission. Um, you know, we decided as a church, and, and uh, I don't know if Jared had anything to do with this, but I think that same spirit of, we cannot wait for COVID to be over. Why? Because we go back to that number we talked about. Regardless of whether COVID is happening or not, we had 43,454 that are going to die without Christ. So we cannot wait for COVID to be over. We cannot wait for all the things that we thought we need. So what they did is they decided that they would start sending missionaries. And during COVID, uh, they were able to send five more couples. Uh, but... The good news is, is that their brothers and sisters from Malaysia were able to go as well during that time. So that is the goal. So here's our task. It's six parts. Um, and, that, and that is that we, we gain entry, we enter the people group. So that's what we call incarnational missions. Yeah, it's good to have radio. It's good to have TV. It's good to have the Internet. All those things are great. But God designed missions to be incarnational, where it's people working with people. Uh, then once we get in there, we, we establish ourselves, we get to know them, we share the gospel. We've got to start the process. Every single missionary starts the process of sharing the gospel. Then we make disciples. And once we make disciples, we teach them to observe everything that Christ commanded. And then finally, they send them out. So once that happens, they don't just sit there on their blessed assurance. The idea is to send them out. That's what God designed. What God's design was from the very beginning. So here's the cool thing about what we call our, our missionaries are, that we're sending out um, our brothers and sisters from Malaysia and Taiwan and other places around the world. 6% were those people, missionaries in 97. In the, in the, in the missionary force that was around the world, only 6% were from anywhere other than Western countries, what, what is called now majority countries. And um, uh, the rest were from those majority countries, so 94%. Here's the cool thing, is that 47% are now from majority countries and 54% uh, are one day, 
are from, let me, let me say it right. We're the, we're the minority countries. They're, they're the majority countries. Let me say that back. I said that backwards. So 47% are now from the majority countries with the idea that one day they will have the opportunity to take that over. We, I, I can't remember the exact, but then the next few years, we're going to have that opportunity to watch those people take it over like they should have been doing all along. Uh, we are all going to work together to accomplish the purpose and plan. Doesn't mean we're having any less missionaries, by the way. It just means that they're giving more. Uh, so we had the per the picture of, uh, you know, the the beauty of this first commissioning service. We saw the picture of it. Uh, they're trained, and uh, they went from their environment, and then they went to another. So here's the challenge for us: uh, that we, as God's people, you have the chance to know Jesus. Okay, so everybody in the sound of the message of, of, of the gospel, that whether it's in church or whether we're going on the streets or whatever, they get that opportunity to hear Jesus. So here's the second challenge. Do whatever the Lord's calling you to do. Whatever God is calling you to do, if it's to go to your, go to your friend next door, it's, if it's to uh, become involved more in missions where you are, whatever it is, you go ahead and do that. Don't disobey. Uh, there are... Uh, and we can all find good reasons not to obey, can't we? Well, you know, uh, I don't know that uh, that's good for me right now. I don't want to. I don't want to be able to uh, not get my raise in in the future. Uh, I, I don't want to make have people make fun of me and ridicule my children because of it. We we can all find good reasons not to obey. So we need to get rid of that. Do whatever the Lord is calling you to do. And then fourth is repent and confess and do God's will. So. There's lots of things that we need to repent of as, an, as, as, as individuals, as the American church, and we need to get our act together, confess it before God, put it before Him, and then say, God, I'm going to do your will. Why do we do that? Because there are 3,150 unreached people groups that are waiting to hear the gospel. Don't be that person. Remember the story he told about what do we do our, with our grandparents now that we're saved? What happened to them? And Jared had to say, well, they're in hell. We came too late for them, but not for you. And if they would tell you anything, they would tell you from hell to get saved. Go to Luke chapter 16 if you want that information about the rich man and Lazarus. So that is what we are called to do as the people of God, to be a part of this throng that will one day worship around the throne and to go out from where we are and do whatever it is that God is calling us to do. All righty, let's jump into the discussion questions and talk about what uh, we need to do to uh, understand more about this. Uh, I like this first one, and if you're not familiar with Lottie Moon Christmas Offering or the people you're teaching or not, you might want to give a little bit of information. Lottie Moon was a missionary to what we call Inland China, and she was one of the first to go there. She literally gave her life, starved to death for giving away her food. She was a single lady, gave away her food so that people might hear the good news of Christ. And on the way back, she was so uh, emaciated from giving everything she had. On the way back on the ship, she died, never made it back to America to get better. She was going back to go to, to the hospital. Um, so that's Lottie Moon, and she was one of those people that did exactly what God called her to do, and to this day, people are affected by this dear lady 
this dear saint that gave her life that others might hear the good news of Christ. Um, so the question is, is I like this. Now that you know how he's involved and what's going on overseas, how did this message help you think about the importance of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? So you need to be encouraging your people to be involved in Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our goal is 40000 this year. Um, and we're, we're, we're fully believing that we're going to give at least that. So you just have them uh, make sure you mention Lottie Moon and what that's about. If you want to do more information, more study, just go to uh, Lottie Moon on, on Google, and it will tell you more information you could possibly share in one meeting. All right, so uh, some of these questions are real good because it helps get them thinking about international missions. What has been your involvement in international missions? And how does that uh, compare to local missions and all those kind of things? And you, uh, you probably wanted to get on one or two of those. All right, let's examine the text. We're reading uh, Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Again, I'm not going to read that. But why did John write the book of Revelation? Well, he wrote the book of Revelation to simply tell that we win. That in the midst of the most trying and difficult of circumstances, not only does God win ultimately, but God wins out every single day. Uh, God, it's the culmination of what will happen. It is the culmination all the way up to the garden being restored at the very end of Revelation 21 and 22. And it's, it's the culmination of that. And, and all the, the, the hurt and the heartache and everything that goes because of the attack of Satan upon the people of God and how that goes. And that one day we will all gather around the throne. All right, why is the book of Revelation so hopeful for followers of Jesus? Because there is coming a day when we will win. We, we get the victory. Uh, and I, I know that it's been said many a time, but I, I want to say it again, and that is I read the end of the book, and we win. So if we are suffering, we know that although we will suffer, because we will, and if you're following Christ, you will suffer for the sake of the gospel, the end is better than the beginning. God sees the end from the beginning. All right, Revelation 7-9 is a grand vision of the redeemed from every tribe, language, and, every, and tongue gathered around the throne of God. Why did God want us to have this vision? Because he wants us to know that we have got, if that is going to happen, he wants us involved. We are the part that helps make that happen. So this is about involvement. We want there, with, with the 31,000, 3,150 that have not heard, we need to make sure that they are engaged in hearing the gospel. So how is this vision encouraging for the followers of Jesus? Um, uh, why, why should the vision of Revelation 7-9 motivate us to live on God's mission? Because we, as I said, we want to be a part of not only that throng, but we want to be a part of making sure that those people are in the throng, right? We want to say, I was one. I was one that helped. I was one that prayed. I was one that gave. I was one that went. I was one that helped missionaries. I was one. All right, Revelation 7.10, what is the significance of the cry of the redeemed? Um, so when we cry out to God in Revelation chapter 7, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who's seated on the throne and to the Lamb. The whole point is that we cry out to God and we point to salvation. That's why we do it every week at Northwood Baptist Church. And it points to the Lamb of God who is seated on the throne. Two, two goals of our worship. The kingdom of God being expanded and the glory of God for what we do. All right, Matthew 6, 28, 16 to 20. We quoted those several times. But what is a disciple of Jesus? A disciple is a 
disciplined follower of Jesus Christ that has been forgiven of their sin and is following him. Now, what does it mean to make disciples of all nations? That's the goal. That's what we, that is one of our challenges is to make people uh, those disciplined followers of Christ. It's not just to win them. It's to disciple them as well. Of course, we have to win them to disciple them. So don't underestimate the power of discipleship and the power of the Spirit working in someone's life. But it's our responsibility to help make them disciples, to help them follow Christ and to do His will and to do His words, do His way. You know, we, we talk about the disciplines, the disciplines of the faith and, and bringing those disciplines in the faith, whether it's our tithing or whether it's our Bible reading or whether it's our, our prayer time or whether it's our fellowship with other believers or whether it's our worship together. All those are disciplines of the faith. Um, so how does the church best make disciples of all nations? Well, we do it uh, when we, we do it best when we do it together, don't we? It's not something that we just have the few go. It's when we're all involved together supporting one another. All right, Matthew 28, 19. What does it mean to go? Well, to go means as you are going. You remember that? That's in the, in the natural realm of where you go and what you do. So as you are going, you share the gospel. All right, Matthew 28, 18... In Matthew 28, 20, why is it important to know that all authority has been given to Jesus? Listen, when you go to somebody and you share the good news of Christ, you have every single bit of authority as the most powerful human on earth because you have been given the authority of Jesus Christ to share the good news of Christ. You have the right. You have the authority. Jesus is with us always. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be concerned whether or not he's going to turn his back on you because he will not. Um, apply the truth. Uh, how can you do a better job of living on God's global mission? Well, they're going to have to answer that question, but some ways they can be praying more. They can, there, there's ways that they can get on, uh, on the International Mission Board a website, and they can send you an email every day. I have a calendar that I pray through every day. Uh, there, there's just all kinds of opportunities that you can share. Uh, we, Jared gave us that opportunity where you can actually contact. He will contact you with prayer needs that are coming out immediately real time, and you can begin to pray instantly, not something that's months later. That is really cool. I've been doing that these last few days as I've gotten on his, uh, his uh, secured uh, text messaging system. Uh, if you want more information about that, contact me, and I'll try to get you on if you're not, or your Life Connection group is not. Uh, what steps do you need to take in your own life to be a disciple who makes disciples. Okay, that's again, they're going to have to say, hey, listen, I need to, I need to make a commitment to be in church. You know, a lot of people, <laughs> I wish it was true. I, w I wish that everybody came every single week that they, you know, went, unless they're sick or out of town. But, I, you know, I never have understood. Well, maybe that's the, the, the discipline that they need to submit to. You know, start where you are and, where, and move where you need to go. I need to start reading the Bible every single day. You say, well, I can't do that. Well, can you read three times this week? Can you read four times this week? But do it disciplined and get up and do it early. Do what you got to do and get it done. Pray. Find out how to pray. I use the ACTS. You might want to use whatever you want to use. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which means the, the things that, that I want to happen. That's what supplication is. So how can you more effectively pray for God's work among the nations? Um, well, you can pray consistently for one thing. You can pray specifically when you know specific needs. I told you about getting on the International Mission Board, getting on an email that comes into you and using those prayer requests and, you, and praying for them. Uh, you can encourage missionaries. 
Uh, you can be a part of what we do when we, when we do things. You can go overseas. There's so many things that you can do. If you want to go overseas, you feel like God is calling you to go overseas, don't you worry about the finances. You go, God will provide, all right? And you tell your Life Connection group that same thing. What hinders you from living on God's global mission? Well, there might be a lot of things. It might be sin in your life. It might be pride in your life. It might be busyness in your life. There are just all kinds of things that can keep us from God's global mission. We can just, uh, we, disinterest. Uh, or maybe just plain old hatred. I don't like those people. I don't, I, I don't like Africans, so I'm not, going, I'm not going on the mission field. I don't like uh, Chinese, so I'm not going on the mission field. You know, number one, that's sin of God. That's sin. How can you say that you love God and you've not seen if you can't love those who, who you have seen? First John. Read it. Whew, that fires me up. Anyway, what will you do to remove those hindrances? Well, I think most of it is repentance, isn't it? It's confession saying, God, I repent, I confess, I turn to you. I believe that I have fallen away from you and I need to come back. All right, respond to the truth. What do you think God is calling you to do in response to uh, these, these scriptures in this lesson? Maybe it's go to the mission field. Maybe it's pray more. Maybe it's get involved in an, with an individual missionary. What is it? And then in response to this lesson, how are you going to pray? Lord God, I confess of my sin. I confess my sin of, of complacency, of nothing else. My sin of complacency, out of sight, out of mind. All right, guys. Well, this is uh, very moving, and I'm so glad that so many of you participated, not only Sunday morning, but also uh, Saturday and also uh, Sunday night. Those were just some awesome times with Jared. And do com uh, continue to pray for Jared Davis, his, his precious family, and, uh, and as they do the work of God. Uh, I have good friends over there, uh, Jonathan and Tommy and uh, Guffey, who are serving in the eastern part of, of Taiwan, and also be in prayer for Jared as it looks like he's going to have to move again. So just be in prayer for him as he does that. Okay. Well, let me pray for you guys. And uh, let's uh, just do a great job with this. If you have any questions, of course, you can always contact me, Trey, T-R-E-Y, at NorthwoodBaptist.com. And I'll do my best to help you think this through. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he died for us. And, Lord, there is a dying world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. May we be those people who are involved participating and engaged so that these 3,150 unreached, unengaged people groups will be able to hear the good news of Christ, maybe for the first time. Lord, use us in some way to reach this lost and dying world where 43,454 died yesterday without the opportunity to hear the good news of Christ. Break our hearts, O oh God. As the song says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Draw people to yourself as only you can do, O oh God, and use us. May we be willing and may we be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. See you Sunday.